a second year in a row, I'm coming to you in your living room. I have to tell you, last year, I remember thinking, uh, I hope this is the only Easter that we will ever have to do this. Never in my wildest dreams could I have ever imagined that we would be here. But here we are. And this is what I know. I know after the year that we've had, we need this story more than ever. We need the promises found in an empty tomb. We need the story of resurrection in our lives in a new way. So I want to invite you to listen. Listen to the good news found in this old story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary... Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. From the outside looking in, the two Marys that bookend Jesus' life are the last people the world would expect to, one, give birth to the Word made flesh, and two, to be the first to experience and announce Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a teenage girl, unmarried, living on the outskirts of town, 
And she is told through uh, much fanfare and many signs in the form of uh, a chorus of angels, shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night, and magi that she is to give birth to the Son of God, and he shall be called Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The only thing missing from Jesus' birth story uh, are fireworks. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is the last person the world expects to usher in the Son of God. You know, from the outside looking in, Mary Magdalene is the last person the world would ever expect to be at the tomb and to share the good news of Christ's resurrection with the world. This is what the world knew of Mary Magdalene before she ever encountered Jesus. Uh, Mary Magdalene was the woman who had seven demons. Demons uh, were often ways to explain physical and psychological ailments during the time of Jesus, which meant that you were ritually unclean and you were uh, sent into exile to the margins of society. Uh, theologically, during the time of Jesus, it also meant that the demon-possessed person had done something to deserve being possessed. I mean, the person must have sinned against God in a bad, bad way to deserve whatever demon they had. That's why uh, demon-possessed people, people who were deemed to be ritually unclean, were sent into exile so that their fate wouldn't influence the fate of the community. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine the stories and the tall tales that must have been crafted about Mary Magdalene and what she must have done to be the recipient of not just one demon, but seven? I've known people. I've known people to wrestle with one demon their entire lives, and it's a struggle. Seven demons must be uh, literal hell. And yet, when Jesus first sees Mary Magdalene, Jesus didn't see what the world saw. No, Jesus saw a woman in exile, enslaved to the powers greater than her own. A woman who was dying to be liberated from the forces that entrapped her. From all that held her back from being her full, true self. We don't have many details on how Mary was healed. In fact, uh, there's only one very short line in the Gospel of Luke. And it says, and she was healed. I mean, no fanfare. No miraculous story of faith. Nope, that's it. She's cured. And Mary does what someone whose entire life has been restored and transformed by the grace, mercy, and love of God does. She responds to that good news with her entire life. Mary becomes a follower of the way of Jesus. She knows firsthand the transformation and healing and wholeness that is found on that path Simply put, Jesus became Mary's life. The way of Jesus 
defined the way that she understood the world and how she had come to know herself. This, this is the Mary who shows up at the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week in the silence, in the stillness, in the early light of dawn. The story is almost told in a whisper. No chorus of angels. No outside actors. No lights guiding from the heavens. Frederick Buechner says it this way, if they had been making the whole thing up for the purpose of converting the whole world, presumably they would have described it more the way the book of Revelation describes how Jesus will come back again at the end of time with the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, and his eyes like a flame of fire, and on his head many diadems. That's not the way the Gospels tell it. They're not trying to describe it as convincingly as they can. They're trying to describe it as truthfully as they can. It was the most extraordinary thing they believed had ever happened. And yet they tell it so quietly that you almost have to lean close to be sure what they are saying. They tell it as softly as a secret, as something so precious and holy and fragile and unbelievable and true that to tell it any other way would be somehow to dishonor it. To proclaim the resurrection the way the gospel writers do, you would have to say it in whispers like, Christ is risen. Like that. Even for all Mary had come to know about Christ. This was news to her. Can't you see her? Alone, the morning light just beginning to stream in after she's mistaken him for the gardener? Can't you just see her standing there Whispering, Christ is risen. It's a whisper of surprise, of awe, of wonder, of, a, of amazement. It's the whisper in response to the greatest news that you have ever encountered in your life. It's the whisper. After they have placed your child in your arms for the very first time, when those grandparents lay eyes on that first grandbaby. Why, hey there. You're mine. It, it's the whisper found on the other side of being forgiven. You mean we're good? It's the whisper found on the other side of hitting rock bottom and recognizing that life wasn't over that there was a, a new life, a fuller life to be found there. Uh, it sounds like, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. It's the whisper found on the other side of being liberated from believing. 
that you were made only to produce, to achieve, and to succeed at all cost. It's a whisper that shows up later in life. What was all that for? It's the whisper found on the other side of the deadly cycle of self-harm. You mean I'm loved just the way I am? It's the whisper that awaits us. We come to know that we are just what God had in mind when God created us. It's a whisper beyond words. That whisper, that whisper changes everything. It means that death doesn't have the final word. It means uh, that the power of empire doesn't win. It means that light is stronger than darkness. It means love wins. From that whisper, Mary runs to tell the other disciples this life-altering, world-changing, transformative good news. And the disciples... Well, they do what we all do when we hear about this good news rather than experiencing it ourselves. They call bull. They call bull excrement on the whole thing. No, really, literally in the Greek, lyros, meaning garbage or bull excrement. Lyros, it doesn't appear uh, anywhere else in the Gospels, except when the disciples respond to Mary's good news of the resurrection. The disciples, uh, they do what we all do. When they're told this unbelievable good news, they call, they call bull excrement until they counter it themselves. I mean, they don't believe it until they've seen it with their own eyes. I mean, until they've been able to stand right there at the tomb and see that stone has been rolled away. They have to be able to confirm it. They got to be able to experience this good news for themselves. Oh, my dear friends, is it not true? that experiencing other people's whispers is not the same as encountering this good news in our own lives. I mean, hearing about this story is not the same thing as coming to know the expansiveness of God's love, mercy, grace, and compassion for yourself. It's why we gather. It's why we gather on this day to recognize that Mary's story is our story. It's your story and my story. It's the story of what it's like to experience this good news firsthand and to recognize how this new news is made known in our very lives all the time in big ways, in really small ways. Friends, I want you to know this day I can only imagine you there sitting in your living room, perhaps dressed in your Sunday best. And I bet you look perfect. But I know 
I know. I know that you have come to this space this morning caring far more than the world would ever know. And far more than anyone will be able to tell from the photos you'll take and post online today. I want you to not only hear this, but I pray that you will come to know this and believe it. You, you are just what God had in mind when God created you. And there is nothing that will ever keep you away from God's love. There is nothing that will ever expel you from God's claim. There is nothing that will ever make God question your true identity. There's no demon or seven that will ever make you unclean to God. No darkness you travel will ever overcome the light of Christ. No, there is new life to be found. There is new life to be found on the other side of suffering and pain and loss and addiction and death. There are places in your life, I know, you take one look at them and they look dead to you. But the very places that look dead to you, God sees them as opportunities for new life. This past Monday, uh, I had a guy come out to our house. Asked him to come out and check our sprinkler system after the freeze that we had. I've been worried sick that all of our sprinkler lines had cracked and the first time I turn on the sprinkler system to water our grass during the summer, I was gonna flood the yard. So this guy had come out and we were walking the yard and we were checking all the different zones and I pointed out some plants to him as we were walking through the yard and I said, you know, I'm gonna end up having to pull out all these plants. I mean, I'm gonna have to replace half the yard. And he walked over and he took a look at one of the bushes that I was talking about and he said, you know what? I know this thing looks dead, but you know it's actually fine. I mean, you gotta give this bush a couple extra weeks. You know, give them six weeks, but there's life in those branches. I mean, they look dead, but they're alive. And I almost mistook him for the gardener. 